Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sophie Scott. And I'm James Gill. Our mission is to make wellness accessible to everyone. We'll be chatting with our favourite people. Sharing uplifting news stories. And delivering tips and tricks. To bring balance to your lives. Hello, welcome to the Balance Podcast. Our guest today uh, is the wonderful actor, Joe Hartley. Joe Hartley is one of those people, I mean... On a personal level, she's been in some of my favourite things ever, TV and movies. Um, and he's also just such a, a, a hugely familiar face. Her body of work is remarkable. If you're like me and you're not obsessed, but certainly enjoy browsing IMDb, then uh, Joe Hartley's makes for quite the read. We talk about Afterlife Season 2, which returns later this month on Netflix. Ricky, Ricky Gervais's uh, Mega Smash. And actually the show that helped start this whole podcast, Ricky was our first ever guest on episode one where we talked about series one of uh, of Afterlife. So it's wonderful to to have Joe on, we talk about Ricky Gervais. We actually talk about, I suppose the running theme are the people we meet who have that special quality, or well, we don't even meet them, but we, we, we're aware of their work. Uh, and I guess the, 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 Holy Trinity, the Holy Trinity that we that we speak about in this episode uh, Shane Meadows, Ian Brown, Ricky Gervais. And what, what is it? What are those magical, mystical qualities that some people have? Uh, this is this is a terrific episode. Joe is so perfect for the, the the Balance Podcast. The themes that we talk about. I mean, this is you know this ends up being quite a deep chat. Joe really uh, really was enlightening I, I, this was a chat that really stayed with me and i think it'll do the same for you so we also talk about joe's incredible career the first film she ever made was dead man's shoes which is one of my if you've never seen it blimey o'reilly hit you for six uh shane meadows it's an incredible film um and what a way to make your debut also I won't spoil it, but the story she shares about being at the, the being the Venice premiere on the red carpet for This Is England, and I'll say no more. But fascinating. Anyway, here she is, the wonderful Joe Hartley. Uh, Afterlife, season two, uh, coming to Netflix, twenty fourth of April. Uh, huge thanks as always, um, and huge thanks to Joe uh, and everyone who made it possible. Big thanks, Joe. You were you were wonderful good though we need a bit of vitamin d I, i'm literally um 
you know, it's, I've got a balcony, which is great. I go on there in the morning and meditate and just do my little affirmations and inventory, whatever else I do and readings. I like readings in the morning. And then I come in and I'm on the Zoom, on the computer, I've been on the phone because my writing partner's in New York. I've been yeah. doing interviews, beautiful feedback from in my skin. So I've been doing interviews, I've Brilliant. been writing interviews. So I'm trying to limit the time on the computer, but I didn't do a very good job of that the first 10 days. And I was, my neck was sore and I was like, I'm so stressed. I need to just feel the silence, you know, and, and enjoy this time where I can rethink what's a priority and how to plan. And I started planning my days, like discipline. Sure. Get ready, take a shower, do the lipstick, do the, wash their hair, look after yourself and started to become really productive and quite creative and yeah. Um, may I just say, of all the people I've talked to during the lockdown, and I include close mates, relatives, you seem to, I'm not just saying this, you seem to have it uh, the most under control of anyone I've known because it sounds like you've actually got a routine there. I've got a plan, yeah. Have I locked it down? That's yeah. Have we have we started or not? Oh yeah, it's always like this. Yeah, it's amazing. I yeah, that happens a lot. I love that. You know what I did? I listened to the mighty Ricky Gervais. I loved it. Your, was it your very first one? That was yeah. So I used to work for a. Um, when I say I know Ricky, that is a huge exaggeration, bordering on a lie. But I used to work for, for a magazine called Shortlist, and so Ricky did quite a lot with Shortlist down the years. So I've known. When I say know him, I'm you know, I'm not being round to his house for tea or anything, but I've known him through interviewing him for blimey, I bet it must be coming up to I want to say ten years nearly. But he's always he's, he's always been such um such a kind guy, you know. God, I'm so glad you said that. It's so I mean, people love him, don't they? Um and, and rightly so, but I started working with him after life on the road. And I just thought, what a special human being. Like, he's very kind. And he's really, like, he's very down-to-earth, very grounded, so humble. And But he's really smart, you know, very clever. And he, he does, he notices everything. But what I love is, like, at the moment, he's doing these live feeds. And I watch them. I've been watching them. And they're great, aren't they? They're just real. They just talks yeah. about And you don't care. He's like, oh, what do I look like? Whatever. And I'm just like, what a great example to people. You know, it's like boosting morale. And the two simple things we've got to do is stay at home, wash our hands and, you know, just sit. It's not like going to fight a war. But it is um, the paradox of that is that there's a very scary kind of threat of people getting sick and, and none of us understand what it actually is. So I guess you just, it's nice to have that. I've, I'm a bit like him in that way. I'm keeping it, the nightmares are making me laugh that he's talking about because I have them all the time. I always have a, dreams about um, Oasis. How weird's that? Is that a happy Oasis dream? Yeah, yeah, like Noel's in it a lot. It's weird, it's like... Are they back together? No, no, they're not. No, they're not. I wish they would, Jay, but oh, that's a bloody... Sorry, that's a that's a thing, isn't it? Can't bring that one up. But just going back to what we was talking about with regards to discipline, um, I think it's one of the m- most important principles of anyone's life to follow. It is the thing that creates most um, productive success from, like cause and effect. So, for instance, like totally. the, it's really interesting in later life how I've got to. Um, be introduced to principles and the meaning of principle and the cause and effect like Newton's third law and 
what we put in, we get out, what we eat, we are, what we think we, we sort of manifest. And I started studying like this. I read a book by Florence Scovel Shin. She's a metaphysical teacher and an artist. And I think yeah. it's the word is your wand and um, the, the, the complete works of Florence Scovel Shin. And I just found it fascinating. I'd always loved The Wizard of Oz. It was as a little girl, Judy Garland's one of my main inspirations. And Incredible. I loved it. I loved it. I yeah. watched it every year. I was obsessed with it. And I, I didn't really, I got it, but I didn't really know what it meant, No Place Like Home, until I actually sort of went through my own, you know, mental health struggles and, and sort of, you know, feeling disconnected in my 30s and depressed and down and, and yeah. actually coming through that and changing my lifestyle and, you know, finding a bit of a, a disciplined plan and a, a sort of spiritual kind of outlet of like spiritual that's a big word because it's not religious but for me it's more like practical but like you know that Wizard of Oz message of everything we need is kind of within us and I read it in the book Florence Scovel Shin at the end she starts talking about the Wizard of Oz and I got these goosebumps and I was like oh god everything's connected um it's interesting isn't it and Ricky's a really interesting person when it comes to all that because he's one of the most spiritual <laughs> people I've ever met is so practical and kind and forgiving and and humorous and funny and he, he sort of is a bit psychic really I think but he'd probably think that was a load of rubbish but you know I just find that um yeah that that's that sort of discipline practicality kindness those simple things they manifest in in ways in our lives forgiveness is a big one they manifest in our in our lives in in ways that are incomprehensible really and they they make us better people and it's interesting like the journey we go on as human beings Carl Jung talks about it there's a point in which we have to stop fighting and find like a higher power or a power greater than ourselves within us the the great reality deep within and it's uh you only get there don't you through pain or or sort of like um difficulty I think every everybody's had it and everybody's experienced it at some point or will come to it and I think that's why with In My Skin, the show that I'm in currently, I was so terrified when when I read the scripts, I was like, this is unbelievable. This is a great, this is a very relevant story about a young girl coming of age, you know, struggling with dysfunctional parents. My character's bipolar. Her father's an alcoholic. Yeah. She's alone in the world and she's trying to be, she's trying to pretend everything's okay. And, um, you know, going through sexuality and Nan's the only person that's there for her. I thought Kaylee Llewellyn was so brave and, and um, to write that about her own experience. And so I, when, I, when I got the part, I was terrified because I thought, how am I ever going to play someone with bipolar? And then I was like, I remember some, one actor said to somebody, was it somebody said to Dustin Hoffman, you just need to act? Yeah, um, it's from uh, Marathon Man. Yes, Marathon Man. Come it's, on. It's the scene where, I don't, know if you, I don't know if you remember this, but Roger Moore once told this story on Clive Anderson. I'm going back 20 years, I reckon. And he tells this anecdote, and it's the, it's the one where Dustin Hoffman, to appear knackered in this scene, he goes for a run in real life, doesn't he? And he appears on the set, and Laurence <laughs> Olivier says, what are you doing? And Hoffman said, I wanted to, I want, my character is, is tired, and Olivier's line is, have you ever considered acting? Right? <laughs> and, then, and, and so Roger Moore told that story on Clive Anderson, and Clive Anderson's put down to Roger Moore was, well, have you? 
Well, it's so funny because, listen again, that's, that's, that's so funny because it's all about perception, right? Because Absolutely. When I go on set with Ricky Gervais, there's no acting. We're not allowed to act. Go when on. You go, we're not allowed to act. You can't act. You've got, to be in, you've got to be present, listen, and react. It's like, it's not acting, is it? I mean, we, we call it acting, but you've got to be real. Shane Meadows is exactly the same. Um, I wanted to do with Trina is... Again, obviously, you know, place be be in a place where I was in the moment and present and real. But how would I ever, how would I ever find what it's like or know what it feels like to be bipolar? So, when I come back to acting, of course, there's all sorts of methods and things that you can do. But I had to really, apart from all the research and preparation and talking to people extensively, you know, Kaylee and Lucy have had family and 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 loved ones who are, you know, have suffered with the illness. And, um, you know, we talked extensively and, and, and also like watching YouTube clips of people in mania or hypermania and, and sort oh of, my gosh. yeah, it was really Incredible. very, you know, the whole process for me was an education. And, um, Jim Carrey says it, doesn't it? it it's the, it's the, the roles find you, the universal will, will send you the roles that you're ready for. And I think, you know, I was, I felt emotionally, spiritually and, and sort of mentally, for, I guess, I guess ready, but in a way with, with fear because you're like, how am I going to do it justice? And as an actor, you don't want to be coming across as like, yes, I'm doing this. It's like, well, people are actually suffering with this. How am I going to do the best, the, the best I can? And Kaylee was saying, we just want to, we just want to show what it looks like. And, you know, there's many different ranges there's a there's a big scale there so I used it was great for me it was like quite cathartic in a sense of an actor I I went there I used meditation I did um, yeah breathing um, body scanning um, emotional recall used all the five senses music rhythm visual so hair and makeup so yeah it's been pretty it's been a pretty sort of big experience for me really and it's uh, it's getting some really nice feedback and I'm really grateful for that and I hope that you know with regards to the story we can reach out to you know anyone who's who's struggling or feels like they're alone whether whether it be someone who, who identifies with Bethan or the dad or myself Trina's character or the grant you know anybody in the script the kids at school are amazing so yeah it's been fun to do that but um yes yeah very I'm at a very interesting time in my life. I've just got to a point where I'm like, I feel okay about who I am and I'm, I'm happy and content. There's like an inner joy, you know, and it's, I've worked really hard for it. Well, I, I just, I, I, I feel it my, my duty to make you feel even better by, by saying that, uh, I mean, for, uh, firstly, two point thing. Firstly, you've been in some of my favourite things ever, ever, ever. And then the first I think it was the first film you ever did is in my top 10 greatest films of all time. And that's dead man shoes. I just, I can't even think about that film without, I mean, I'm nearly crying, (laughs) but I I just think it is, I wouldn't change a single frame in that film. It's just perfection. Um, I mean, what, what was that like as an experience? Cause I I just think as a piece of work and if anyone is listening and they've never seen the film dead man shoes, it is a masterpiece. Oh, James, that's so cool. Thank you. I, Shane Meadows is, um, he's just a legend, right? He's amazing. Absolutely. He's very clever. He's just really special. Um, you know, it's, it's funny how you meet all these 
sort of mighty people in your career like Ricky's one of them as well there's something about these people that they just have like a genius for something it's just it's just they're they're really authentic and with Shane with Dead Man's Shoes I remember getting that role I remember meeting Shane at a commercial casting and I was really it was my first sort of out into the world of acting and I didn't yeah. start until I was about 28 I'd acted from the age of sort of nine ten at Oldham Theatre Workshop then I I did some plays at school and I loved it my auntie Betty worked with Otto Preminger the the American film director who did incredible bloody hell yeah she went over she was a real she was a a real piece of work she was an amazing woman and she went to to live in New York when she was like quite early on in her life I think she might have been in her late 20s or early 30s and um, she ended up working for Otto. I remember it coming to my school play of um, uh, the, the um, Sound of Music and I was Gretel. I remember being sat in the audience with my mum and dad and I was like really excited. I remember the feeling I got when everybody stood up and clapped and I felt like I'd really achieve something. And it was, it was the seed was kind of set there and the excitement of, I guess, with the fear of going on stage, not knowing if you're going to do it right, you know, all that stuff. And then I, I, I kind of... My dad passed away when I was sort of 17 and I, I just got involved with like the rave scene and partying and having a great time. I was an air hostess for five years in, in Japan and uh, learned to speak Japanese and yeah, it was fun. And then I missed acting so much. But whilst I was doing that, I used to have like these one-on-one acting lessons. I was obsessed by De Niro and Scorsese and Pacino and, and actors like John Casale and, and, you know, John Cassavetti and... Gina Rowland, that's who I used actually. I watched A Woman Under the Influence for this, for this, um, for this in my skin. Now that and you say that, all those names you just mentioned, that, and again, this is the highest compliment, that totally makes sense given your performances. That absolutely, when you said those names, I did not, I didn't bat an eyelid, of course, absolutely. I, Oh man, I'm obsessed with them all. It's like that, the, you know, stuff like husbands and woman under the influence, and then the, the conversation, Gene Hatman, all those kind of the conversation. I mean, that Jesus Christ, talk about a film that doesn't get the credit. I mean, Coppola is banging that out in between. Does he make that in between Godfather and? Does he make that between Godfather and Apocalypse Now? It's, it, it was very much a project he made in between two massive movies. But the yeah. conversation is up there with the, the very best, isn't it? It is. And like, I was chatting to Michael Smiley the other day. He's a really close friend of mine. And he said, have you ever, have you ever seen Scarecrow with Al Pacino? I've never seen it. I was like, what? That one got away. So Pacino gonna... and Hackman, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, but bloody it, hell. I know. So I, I know I'm going off piece a little bit here, but it's kind no, of No, this like... is the right show for that. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's good. Yeah. Well, it's, it's... Going back to Mr. Meadows, really, the king, it's like, you know, he was obsessed with Scorsese. I kind of, so I grew up loving all these and, and um, I was like, you know, this is, this is what I want to do. And it was, you know, it was hard. I never sent off my drama school applications. I always procrastinated. I was like, oh, it's not going to happen. I'm, you know, up north and whatever. And, but, but for some reason I, I found my way and I, I did one-on-one acting classes. I watched film after film after film. I studied actors that I loved. And then I, and then one day I'd stopped. Um, I, I wasn't working on the airlines anymore. I was a recruitment consultant in, in Ealing, in London. And I was, yeah. I was going to Questers in Ealing, which is a sort of semi 
professional theatre company like um, drama school. And I was studying like Stanislavski and Meisner and it's all these kind of different methods. I was obsessed with all that. And, um, you know, the Actors Studio, James Lipton. Um, Amazing. Oh, I passed away recently. Yeah. An absolute legend. Absolutely. And so, and then I met Shane Meadows. I was at my friend's flat in, in Ealing. And I, was, I remember being in the bath and she knocked on the door and she was like, your phone's ringing. I'd just got myself um, an agent. Um, I'd been to a party at a hotel and met Nigel Pavaro. Do you remember he was in Coronation? I do. And he That's put right. me in contact with his agent and, and Nyland Management. And I, they took me on. And, and I just was like, and then he called me. God, that was about, kind of him, wasn't it? Yeah, it was because I spoke Japanese and they wanted a Japanese speaker. They were, they were some, I don't know how it happened, but I think, again, down to the universe, synchronicity, everything happens for a reason. Your journey that you can't see just comes upon you, doesn't it? And, you know, you just take one, one foot after the other. And then... Um, I ended up going to this, um, meet this guy. They took me on. And then a few weeks after he called me, I was in the bath at my mates in Ealing. She said, oh, the phone. So got out, called him back. He's like, I've got you an audition with Shane Meadows for a, for a commercial. And at that time I was deluded. Well, not much change really, to be honest, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still deluded. So it's just a little bit, yeah. You just don't think you are when you get older. You need um, to look at your, you need to look at your IMDb page and stop bit, stop feeling deluded because you've already achieved it, my friend. Bloody hell! Wait, I've been yeah. nine, nineteen years of acting. I'm not, but it's you've, you've got a CV to die for. Thank you so much. That's nice of you. I am so lucky. I've hustled. I tell you, I've worked so hard. And <laughs> yeah. I tell you, the principle behind that was never giving up. Never giving up. I, I, I did, you know, so I, I did promotions. I did all sorts of jobs, honestly. Well, I remember once being on the red carpet in Rome um, with De Niro and all them, you know, no, sorry, Nicole Kidman. And we was with This Is England. That was on the weekend. And on the Monday morning, I was giving out cheese uh, in Macclesfield doing a promotion. <laughs> so, so no insane. way. Yes. This is about, I don't know, it's about whenever, just after This Is England came out. Someone said, are you, in the, are you that woman in this? No season? way. Yeah, yeah, I was still working. I have worked, I, honestly, I didn't give up. I've not done all sorts of jobs. And it was only really the last sort of 10 or 10 or 12 years that I've, I mean, 10 years that I've been working consistently in the industry without, you know, without having to do extra were and that and for that I'm very grateful but it's so funny you know because I, I think people like me and I've made this mistake before you know I see you and I've seen the things that you've done and so after I see this you know I, I say this is England I see it at the cinema as soon as it comes out you know again yet another masterpiece and I think I just I assume when someone's in a film oh they, they've automatically made it but the, the truth is is different isn't it well, I felt the same with Dead Man's Shoes. Like, I'm going to get to that. But um, I remember it being on the cinema and we watched it. And I was at Shane um, and his partner's hotel room the next morning and we was reading the reviews. And then I had this interview with an agent and they were like, oh, you've, you've not quite done enough yet. And I remember crying to Shane going, oh, God, what am I going to do? And I couldn't get a job. And it was I was still doing promotions up until I probably did Ill Manners, to be honest. But... I mean, that's pretty normal for people. But I, I kind yeah. of go back to the story that I'm telling you. Got out of the bath, got the call. Yeah. This is what the delusion, going back to the deluded Jojo. <laughs> I, was like, I, like, I, like, I like deluded Jojo. She gets away. <laughs> yeah. 
get away with it, don't you? Um, <laughs> so I my agent. I thought I was like, I think I thought it was Meryl Streep or something. I'd not even done a job. And um, I said, I don't want to do commercials. I want to be a movie star. <laughs> he, just, he just went, yeah. Do you know who Shane Meadows is? And I was like, no. And he was like, well, he's just, I've just done this film 24 seven. And he did like, uh, I think he'd done Room, Room for Romeo Brass, he'd done Where's the Money, Ronnie? He said, check some of his stuff out. No, you couldn't get it. HMV was about then and I couldn't get anything. So sure. I ended up going, going to this audition with Shane and I had to sing It's Raining Men by the Weather Girls and pretend I was drunk and basically got the job. And Amazing. he was laughing. He fell off the chair laughing. And then two weeks after that, I got invited to go. And this is a story for you. I'd seen a film called The Last Resort by Pavel Pawlikowski with Paddy Considine in. I'd never seen Paddy. I didn't know anything about him. And I was sat one Sunday night watching this film. And I thought, who is that kid? He's amazing, kid. I mean, he's older than me, probably. No, he's a bit younger than me, Paddy. I don't know, actually. Probably, yeah. But um, two weeks later, I was in the Nottingham cinema in with him. I walked into the audition, like into the meeting with Shane, Toby Kebble, I think Emily Aston was there, and Paddy was sat there. And I was like, "What is going on?" And so it was a lovely journey from that moment on. And Dead Man's Shoes was called the Skull. I remember getting the um, script and going through it to see how big my part was, <laughs> and. Um, it was tiny at the end. I thought, oh, that's not great, is it? And then realised, like, I'd never done anything. I'd done some guerrilla filmmaking in Manchester and we, we, we'd we been given some film stock off Michael Winterbottom to do this. Wow. Film. Yeah, my, my friend who was doing the, the film, Tom, he'd, he'd been given some film stock. He'd worked on 24-hour party people and we just was doing, we were just, you know, like... Um, really experimenting and, and I was always into that short films things like that but it was when I met Shane that the whole thing changed for me and although yeah. I joke about working and promotions I've always been a very hard worker so I I kind of like you know acting is, is the sort of profession that you know it's quite hard to make a living from it if you're not getting these big roles and you know and and, and you're not working constantly I mean it's it's if you also want to do good work, then there's time, there's downtime because they, of course, as an actor, you, you, you know, you go and you say yes to the jobs and you learn your craft on set. I mean, I think Christopher Walken said that you just say, yeah, and turn up. Sure. But sure. There are things you do and don't want to do, you know, do want to do and, and don't want to do. So in the meantime, I just kept my nose to the ground and worked and, and, basically believed in that this was I didn't really have a plan B um I write and stuff now and I'm writing some shows and and I'm you know I'm I'm feeling like inspired by that and I've always written but I never shown it anyone I mean I I have the last few years and they've been optioned by a couple of companies and we're doing the, the notes and we're working on that so um my writing partner's in New York and, and she's great we work together so that's that's exciting but after Dead Man's Shoes, work, working on that film, I think that was the question that it took me 425 minutes to get round to. But uh, your question about Dead Man's Shoes, how was it working on that? It was phenomenal. I remember going away for three weeks um, and staying with the whole cast and crew. I remember my first scene on set with Paddy, I was petrified. I remember we didn't quite have the scene down. Shane's the kind of 
director that if you you know organically if you um if it's not happening he'll stop and do something sure. else and we all went into the well, house. He, he can just feel it in the air yeah he just he just said this script's not working less so we all had to sit down in the front room and i'm thinking oh no he's gonna cut me out of it now i don't know am i doing it wrong really self-aware you know and that's what's come i think that's what's come for me over time a, sort of an an inner self-confidence in a way like I'm not saying I've got all the answers and jobs don't frighten me, but I'm less worried about what people think. And I think that's why my skin came to me because I was able to let go of all the outside expectations, including my own and do the job and let something work through me, you know, because I'm not, whereas, you know, when you first start out, you've got like, I mean, I won't ever say imposter syndrome goes. I don't, I don't feel it today because I don't have, my acting is not, um, you know, something that I, I try not to take myself too seriously. That's that's it, basically. And I try to be of service to others and help others. And I think everything that happens within my world as an actor is a bonus. And I think, you know, when I hit something, I hit it full on with, with the preparation and professionalism. But it, I am not my job. You know, there's more to me now than my job. I am more than my job. So I think that's what's come to me in the last sort of 10 years of my life, that I'm not... Um, the outside things that I have, like my status or my prestige, like my job or my money or how much, you know, it, it's it's more about character building, I think, and and more of the um, important things in life, like you know, um, relationships and, and and everything. So, but yeah, I think from from going back to to, to Dead Man's Shoes, that experience on set was phenomenal. We ended up doing that scene. That's the scene at the door with Paddy. Yeah. Um, it went well. It was just re- really intuitive. Paddy was just like, just listen to me and react. They all really helped me actually. And there was a, a moment where Shane said to me, you know, you have, you have it. You don't have to do anything. You just, just be present and listen and react. And they kind of, um, tutored me on set. And then, then came, this is England. And that was something that I didn't even know I was going to be in. I just went to the Nottingham workshop with Shane to interview the kids at the workshop. 19 of them and then at the end he said right you're playing the mum and I was like what do you mean and he said I'm doing this new film and and we went on that journey and and then you know it became such a hit and it you know Dead Man's Shoes it's, it's Ian Brown's favorite film I think that I remember meeting Ian Brown and he said this is one of the the best films I've ever seen so it sounds like you've got good taste James I don't know. Why, I, I don't know why I knew that. Maybe it's because Shane did the Stone Roses movie, but I, 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 I had a, a, I could feel that Ian Brown was going to come up, which is why I did, again I didn't bat an eyelid when you said that. Oh my god, I love him. He's great. I remember, I know Ian. I've, I've met him a few times. Are you joking? No, I. Well, I was in the Hacienda, so I never met Ian at the Hacienda. So when I, from about eighty-seven after my dad passed away to about ninety-two, I was frequently in the hacienda with the likes of the inspiral carpets you know noel liam bernard sumner from new order um all the djs really i you know was dating a a dj um at the hacienda and bobby and we all kind of grew up together and the music scene was unbelievable for me i mean that, that was one of the most exciting times of my life. And I watched Supersonic the other day and I was, I had goosebumps and I was like, oh, didn't we have something so powerful and iconic that time that you what? didn't think... Mate, mate, so, so I, I'm, I'm fascinated. As to, so I'm from Leeds 
But why? Corning I love shade. Manchester so much, but what? what <laughs> but what? Why? What is it about Manchester and Mancunians? Where you know, I know you're from Oldham, you know, not far away, but they just have this soul of a poet, and and it's produced this band after band after band after band. And when whenever I go up there to work, and the Mancunians, they can break your heart within a sentence. There's a depth about them. What what is that all about? I don't, I don't know. That's a massive question, but I know that. Oh, I, I, I love that what you just said because it's. I feel it. I feel it. I really feel it. Yeah. I go up there and like, yeah. That's say watching Supersonic. I was crying because I was like, look at us all. Like that's. I was there with them with the flares and the the Adidas trainers and the t-shirts and the long hair and it was all lost but Mancunians yeah they're, they're pretty amazing it's it's been a great um they've produced a, a lot of you know as many places a lot of very talented people especially musicians but I was I am from Oldham but I from the age of 15 I was in Manchester I was sure. in town always in town and that was a crazy period of my life but one that I wouldn't change and I went to all the parties. It was brilliant. Um, and, and, you know, I guess that kind of then, it, at the time, when I didn't think, oh, I, you know, I knew I wanted to be an actor. I used to sit and, like, study movies, and, and I was obsessed with Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola and, you know, loads of... I, I tell you who else I love. Um, one of my favourite films is um, Once Upon a Time in America, Sergio Leone. Phenomenal. Incredible. Oh, so I saw that as a teenager, and I think at that time, I think I, I think I thought it was the best film I'd ever seen. You know, just in terms of the the cinematography and the scale and the scope and the ambition. You know, and Ennio Morricone soundtrack. Yeah. That was the film that made me go, "Oh wow!" Apart from The Wizard of Oz, which is quite magical. But going back to to Ian Brown, when Shane did that documentary, is it made of stone? Made of stone, I think it is. Yeah. Oh my God, I went there, there was cameras, like, it was electrifying. I went with Vicky McClure and her, uh, and her fiancé, John What, you Lewis. went to the premiere? No, we went to the gig, we went to the... What, actual... the little one, the, where, the, where the people are running to get in there? No, we went to the big one. I think I went to a couple. I didn't go in that one, no. We went to the big one. Um, was it, not Heaton Park, I don't know where he it was. It was Heaton Park, wasn't it? Yeah. Because in the documentary, went... they're counting down, aren't they? You know, to Heaton yeah. Park. It's, I mean, what a... Oh my God, what a film that is. Yeah, and it was it was only later when I was doing a music video for, with James Lavelle and Uncle and Queens of the Stone Age called Restless. Yeah. Um, yeah. With, I, that I actually was taken, I was at Brixton Academy, Brixton Academy, and my friend Gary Aspen, um, who does all the special stuff, he, he um, you know. He... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. He's a creative speciality. And he came and he was a good friend and he said, um, come and meet Ian. And I was like, oh, I never met Ian. And I met Ian that night and Gary had introduced him to Dead Man's Shoes and they were, he was like, it's a great film, that mate. <laughs> so, what is that? What is it about Ian where he, you know, we talk about charisma and an aura. I mean, there is something, and I don't use this word lightly, there is something magical about the man, isn't there? Absolutely. He's absolutely got that. Um, he is a very cool person. He's what's he, I mean, what's he? What is he... You know, it talks about the universe. I mean, what what is he mainlining there from the cosmos? Where, you know, I've seen. I mean, I've seen him live a couple of times. When he, when that first foot steps onto the stage, that the. I mean, I've got goosebumps even thinking about it. Yeah. What what is going on there? Because there is there is something special there, isn't there? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Some people have that, don't they? Um, it's super special. I remember. When I when I met him, he was just there was a stillness and like a wisdom, like a like a kind like a smile. He sort of like he knew something that you didn't, you know. But even from that very first interview, and I don't know who it was with, it was him and one of the other members of the band, and um, they were really young. I don't know if you've ever seen the footage. Is it, is it then, not in the documentary where they're just silent for ages? Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, it's just. She's it's asking quite awkward questions, isn't she? She is. She is. And, and he just, um, he says a line in it about um, falling in love with something. And I was like, oh, it's, it's in the documentary. I was like, oh, Yeah, wow. it is, yeah. And it is, yeah, I mean, it, it was a pleasure to meet him. And, and um, I've seen him. I have um, my friend, um, Mike Chikuti and Jane, they're really good friends with him. And I went to Jane's 50th recently and, and Ian came, and um, it was so funny because their little girl Uma, she's a, she's a an art their son was DJing, and Uma was singing. And then she started to sing. Ian Brown walked in, and I was like, "Oh, no pressure." <laughs> it was so cute. She didn't bat no eyelid. She smashed it. She's not bothered. She's not, she's not bothered. She's like, I don't know. I'm like ten. I don't know who Ian Brown is. I don't know. <laughs> nice. But she definitely does, and um, yeah, it's cool. He's a cool, a cool one. But yeah, and it's been great, you know, and sort of working on so many lovely projects over the last five years or six years. I've done quite a lot of comedy, you know, with yeah. sort of the mimic was the first time. I mean, after doing a lot of stuff with Shane and uh, did some stuff with Plan B, and you know, the jury and all the rest of it, all the serious stuff, then. Kieran Hawkes, who's a really good friend of mine, is a director, and Matt Morgan, um, they had seen me, and this is England, and they they was like, we need to get Joe in. And I did something called The Mimic for Channel yeah. 4 and um, with Terry Minot. 
Yeah. And someone tweeted something last night about it, and it was really sweet. And I think that's my that might have been what Ricky had seen the comedy. It's the first time I'd done comedy. Are you serious? I think that's what he said to me in the audition. I can't remember. Fascinating. But when I went in for Life on the Road, I think it was either Charlie or Ricky that had seen it. But then maybe it was the first time I'd ever done comedy and people loved it. And all my family and friends used to say, Joe, why don't you do some comedy? And I was like, well, I've not had the opportunity. People don't get you in. They get the same people in all the time. It was like, and then this opportunity came up where they just wrote that part for me and, and we did it. And then people saw that I could do something different. And I think that's a little bit... Um, that goes on quite a lot, I think, in the industry. Like, Shane Meadows was always somebody who really takes chances, whereas I think mostly people just go with what they know or the convenience of just being, you know, uncreative, really, and, and getting the same people in all the time and, you know, not, not allowing people to show a different side to themselves. I mean, it's all to do with, like, financing and whatever, whatever, but it's been a real journey to go through that and to detach from it and not take it personally and continue to sort of soldier on and trudge. And then the the fruits of your labor is starting to come to fruition with, I mean, that's beautiful what you said about, you know, my CV and my agent said that to me once, Samara, she said, you know, oh, it's a, a real body of work. It's nice. It's, yeah. it's kind of, I, I guess it's one of those, it's like people that I admire, like Leslie Mandel and people like that, they're like, They've been working for years, and over time, they just they just get better and better and better. And yeah. I, I've, got a conf- I've got a confession, Joe, and I'm not, I, I don't think I've ever said this to any other interviews. I've made that mistake because I've seen so much of your stuff. I mean, I'm 41, and this is a very naive thing to say, but I almost I feel like I know you through your body of work because maybe it's because a lot of your stuff I find relatable. But before the chat, it, it almost felt like, oh yeah, I'm chatting with Joe, which is insane. Because obviously we've we've never met before, but um, I think that that speaks volumes about the the, not just the 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 quality but the the quantity as well. You know, you've you've nailed it. That's nice. A lot of people say that that they feel like they've met me before when they because they just say, you know, it's nice. You have a nice connection that you're open to people, and you know what made me laugh when (laughs) we, we were doing some press for. Afterlife, which is coming out on the 24th of April on Netflix. I'm doing a bit of a plug there. Just <laughs> amazing. Um, for our brilliant show, it is actually a masterpiece, I think, number two. I mean, you can't say that yourself, but I, I can. Um, well, it, I, it, it just hits the ground running from one, doesn't it? I oh, mean, I don't, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's one scene in particular where you... We, and can't, we, can't, we can't talk about the second one. You've not seen it, have you? Yeah. Oh, you can't talk about it, though. We can't talk about it. Okay, well, I'll say, I'll say, I'll, I'll say this then. I'll be very vague. Well, I mean, we might. I don't know when this is going out, but I think it's. I think we just. It'd be nice to just wait and not talk about any scenes in. Afterlife. I'll tell you what. I'll talk about uh, season one in that case. Yeah. Well, all don't... I was going to say is that one of the reasons why you're so good at comedy is. Uh, <laughs> just... I've got a spanner in the works there. No, I? no, no. It's fine because I mean, I'm just. I... I mean, I could, this could be about anything, really. I'm not giving anything away here, but because you're so good at keeping, you, you are so good at keeping a straight face while something ridiculous is happening. You probably know the scene I'm referring to. I think I do. I yeah. think I do. When Ricky sent it to me over an email because we'd done some workshopping, I spat my tea out laughing yes. and, and and cried. I wanted, I was crying, and Is I was that? like, 
He's just well, a genius. Well, the listener can't see me doing is I'm just doing the, I do this to my youngest daughter to make her laugh, but it's just that total, it's that blank expression, isn't it? And that's but, that's where the that's where the spit spitting the tea comes out, you know. I, I did, I spat my tea. I'll tell you what will get us out of this hole. I'm sorry I didn't mean to be like a bit... No, you're all right. I think, I think that I have to wait till, you know, because it's obviously, it's not, it's, um yeah. So the the, the thing was, um the, the, the brief for the character was um, June is s- such a lovely um, woman. She fusses over her son. Yes. Um, and she doesn't have a filter and she talks too much. And I said, well, no acting there then. <laughs> well, that's, that, I mean, that takes us back to the beginning with the whole naturalistic approach, doesn't it, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, there's a hell of a lot of work and preparation goes into doing nothing. So I don't just like get the script, read it once, learn my lines, then turn up. Some people can, you know, it's like Ricky jokes about. It takes years. I mean, it takes years to get to that level. It's like, you know, in comedy for a comedian to be their authentic self on stage. I mean, that can take over a decade to get to that level. Right. Well, Ricky's always like, I was talking about stand up the other week and when we was doing this interview and it's like that is that is what he does is so intelligent it's thought through every single little detail it's not just done like off the cuff now he jokes on these live things going oh with Derek I'll just put my hair forward and then but actually there's loads of work on they must have done I don't know he's probably just got it but for me like I'm not that's not me it's not me in afterlife but it's like you just have to learn your lines you know, put something, a, a funny garment on or change something about your hair. And that, yeah. for me, creates the character. You don't have to go into this, like, psychosis of, like, you know, the psychology of the character. I mean, I did with Trina in In My Skin because yeah. I had to know more about um, the backstory, the the, the the different levels of bipolar physicality of it. But... Again, I could never comprehend what that would be like. So I used my imagination. Yeah. And I don't, we were talking about people having funny bones and stuff. And I, Michael Smiley's always said this to me. And he used to say, you should do stand up. You, you've, you've got, you know, you, you've just got a natural um, thing. And I, but that's just me being a bit dippy or a little bit like, oh, what? You know, it's, or it's just me being honest. So I don't know if it's a, a talent that, but maybe it's, that is what we do. We use ourselves and every part of ourselves for creativity. You know, it's, it comes through us, doesn't it? So it's the bravery and what you, I'm not politically minded or, you know, I couldn't go out and start doing stand up about things. And I couldn't, I'd feel bad saying things, bad things because I don't like hurting people's feelings. So I'd be rubbish. <laughs> look at, you know, if you look at someone like, uh, you know, Peter Kay, if you talk about naturalistic, I mean, I got into him as a, when I was a teenager and that's, what he's doing there, he's not saying anything political. He's, he doesn't really say anything mean about anyone. He's just uh, talking about everyday real life. I mean, that Top of the Tower, the first ever special he did, it's one of the greatest specials of all time, but that, it's totally naturalistic, isn't it? It is, yeah. He's, I met him when I was doing a promotion and I was in a supermarket and I was, I was dressed up as a can-do frog. And um, he, walked in, he walked in with his mum and his nan and I was like, you're doing a big shot with your mum and your nan? And he went, don't be cheeky. And, and that was that was like, I know you sort of look very confused there. That was a long time ago. No, no, no. Yeah, I mean, that, that to me, that sounds like heaven. I mean, that'd be like meeting Elvis Presley to me. 
Yeah, it was great. It was a long time ago. It was before I'd started doing any acting, really, in a sense of a professional sense. But yeah, it was an it was hilarious because I think I think I think I was no, I don't think I don't know if I was dressed up as the frog. Someone was because my mum's got a picture of it on on the wall because we had a picture taken with him. But he's a bit of a legend, isn't he? I, I met him in my first, I think it was my first year. At, he, he played at our uni a couple of times in the mid-90s. So I met him before he was famous. I mean, the first time I saw him live, uh, truly transformative. You know, yeah. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it at that time. Very um, funny. So Ricky's like that. I went to see Humanity. I'm looking forward to Supernature. But I love I love comedy. I mean, it's... it's um, it's really important, I think, especially at a time like now, you know, and, and again, going back to the very first sort of few moments of our conversation about what you put in comes out. And I, I know it sounds, it might sound ignorant. I watch what I need to watch on the news, but I really stay away from it because it's like filling your mind with information that's sort of kind of repetitive and unnecessary. And I don't even know if it's factual anymore. You know, I try to just sort of, filter out what I need but I, and I do what I really need to do but I try to fill my mind with other things I mean I wanted to ask you about that when did you I mean you know the reason why I asked this I got into uh, self-help call it whatever you like in my in my early 20s how did you get into um, that realization of what you put out you get back and thoughts become things and, and and so on because for any of our listeners who haven't explored that I mean it is it is utterly transformative, isn't it? Yeah, I so my period was around the age between the age of thirty-five and thirty-eight. So I kind of I think you know we we hold on to like traumatic experiences, and I do believe it stays with us, and we we sort of repeat old behaviours, and throughout our period of life, we become resentful and fearful and some somewhat delusional um I, I think what's what a really useful tool is is like it's kind of like inventory like daily keep it keeping everything really simple trying to look at what you could have done better throughout the day when you wake up in the morning I try to have like 10 minutes at least to, to meditate and to gather my thoughts and ask myself what I'm going to be doing for the day and read something positive or some you know i i was a really good quote the other day from from henry miller um that i i sent to ricky actually and a couple of people and it was it was a beautiful quote about um i just have we got time for me to read a little bit oh god I, this would be amazing thank you it says the great ones do not set off up offices charge fees, give lectures or write books. Wisdom is silent and the most effective propaganda for truth is the force of personal example. The great ones attract disciples, lesser figures whose mission is to preach and to teach. These are gospelers who, unequal to the highest task, spend their lives in converting others. The great ones are indifferent in the profoundest sense. Ian Brown, Ricky Gervais, Shane Meadows, I don't know. They don't ask you to believe. They electrify you by their behavior. They are the awakeners. What you do with your petty life is of no concern to them. What you do with your life is only of concern to you. They seem to say, in short, their only purpose here on earth is to inspire. And what more can one ask of a human being than that? That's Henry Miller. I mean, it's like we all inspire, isn't it? Beautiful. 
but how, like we all like we all inspire don't we the, the whole of humanity is kind of inspiring they have their own I mean you know there's a good in in all of us and I think what happened to me is I got bogged down with fear and resentment and an unhealthy lifestyle I was I was kind of like repeating old behaviors I was partying I was going out I was really not looking after myself and I was mixing with you know people that didn't have my best interests at heart plus uh, simultaneously meeting Shane Meadows at sort of 28 30 my whole dream's coming true. I'm making movies, so all these good things are happening. My life was pretty amazing, to be honest. But internally, I had an emotional and mental rock bottom. Physically, um, you know, I spoke to Shane about it, and it was all while I was doing This Is England. And I went to a, a therapist, and I talked about stuff, and I, you know, I, I kind of worked through stuff, and, you know... But it wasn't until I kind of discovered um, meditation, um, the change of one's lifestyle, you know, um, and sort of altruism um, and finding a, a sort of power greater than myself, really, something within me that, that, that I could connect to, whether that be consciousness or some people call it God, some people call it higher power. Um, you know, it was, it was a point where... I just had a mental breakdown and I just had to change a lot of things and a few friends really helped me. And from that day forward, once I'd accepted that, you know, I was sort of powerless and defected and I had a problem um, with my sort of perception, then I was able to change it because I don't think you can, if you're deluded and you're in denial and you're angry, a lot of it was anger for me. It was, I thought it was connected to my father's death, which it probably was as well. But I was angry with myself because my conduct wasn't very good. My, my, you know, my kind of, I was not doing things I wanted to do. I was procrastinating. I was taking the easy way out, basically. Yeah. And, you know, when you have, they say pain is the, the touchstone to spiritual growth or to growth. And like, you know, it's a spiritual axiom that when you're disturbed, the problem is with you. Now that takes a lot of humility and a lot of acceptance to try to because ultimately it's like I listen to a lot of um Super Soul Sunday Oprah Winfrey oh, yeah. they're all my it's all my stuff I love that kind of acceptance and forgiveness and trying to see empathy you know Ricky talks about empathy and being able to try you know what if you go to the dinner and the waiter's being funny you realize you don't know what's happened to him you know he could have had someone pass away but for me I think because I was so it's, it's the ego. It's like so childish. It was like everything's personal and it's too much self-focus. And once I got out of self and I started to give to the world and I started to be able to um, take myself a lot less seriously. And, and that's not me being a bad person. It was a problem. I had to look at it from a completely different angle in my life. I had to, you know, go out into the world and and, and amend with people that I'd, I'd, I'd upset. And then I had to kind of change my lifestyle. It was so powerful for me. It's been the last sort of 10 years of my life have probably been the best in the sense of spiritual centeredness and calmness and, and happiness because I'm not in the way. I got out of the way and I, I let go of a few bad habits. I, I asked for help and I accepted that I was broken. And from that point on, something beautiful started to happen. And, you know, talking about it with you actually <clears throat> makes me quite emotional. Um, so I hope, you know, 
that helps somebody because I think we look at people on television and we look at people in the modeling career and whoever who, who might be put on a pedestal of some sorts we don't ask to, to be on a pedestal and that's okay but we look at them and think they're all sorted and they're all together but actually they have a journey too and I also that's why I don't speak up as an actor about politics or this or that because I'm an actor I'm there to tell a story I do what I can privately in my own community um who knows whether that's right or wrong what is right or wrong you know there is no right and wrong there just is and ultimately that that whole spiritual awakening has come through pain and acceptance of who I really am and it took me a lot of like years because I was full of pride and you know self-righteousness for a while as well when I first kind of realized this and I started to practice some of the spiritual principles I was like Oh, I think I thought it was a Dalai Lama. Do you know what I mean? It was ridiculous. And then you peter out a bit and you go, okay, I just need to get up, eat better, be nice to myself, sleep more, drink a lot of water, don't tell lies, be honest, be kind to people, be who you really are and try and love as many people as you possibly can, you know, and not in an intimate sexual sense, in a, in a sense of like intimacy and love as in connection. Because I think, you know, a lot of people are struggling out there and, and we do too, you know. I'm sure like Ricky has his moments and Shane has his moments and Ian, they don't come and they don't tell everyone. It's, it's the humility to get on with it and do what they've got to do. So I don't know if Ricky does have any problems. It's always funny. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, everything you've just said there, I, I, I couldn't relate to it anymore. Um, you know, if it was acceptable to applaud mid-answer, I, I would have done. Because I, I, on a personal, I, I, you know, I'm sure I'll speak on behalf of a lot of our listeners. I went through, you know, pretty much the exact that exact same thing. Um, and also that, I mean, that that that, that moment where you realise that you have to accept responsibility instead of things being other people's fault. It wasn't my fault. I was drunk. It wasn't my fault. It was. But then when you actually t- when you take ownership yeah. and you own the mistakes and the failures and so on. I mean, that's utterly transformative, isn't it? It's absolutely transformative because we are the problem. You know, I was doing, I was going to Japan. We are the problem, that's right, yeah. We are the problem, you know. I was going to Japan, I went to Amsterdam, I travelled, you know, and I was running away from myself. But that is the journey of the, the human spirit. That's what Carl Jung talks about. Yeah. You, We all go on it with this trauma is real it could be someone raising an eyebrow at a dinner table it doesn't have to be something more intense it's so true it's um, so true the yeah. slightest thing can uh, i mean i'm a sensitive type the slightest thing can have such a seismic impact can't it everything's personal and nothing is personal so it's kind of like the whole of life is like one big paradox it's one big contradiction we're not really i mean if we want to get really silly and scare everyone and they'll think well she's crackers non no, nothing exists none of it's real it's all a kind of crazy illusion nothing i mean in a sense i don't know what happens after you die. yeah, no, I'm laughing. Uh, yeah maybe, maybe take that bit out <laughs> no no but um i'm friends with joe wilkinson and I, um and i phoned him oh. a, i found him a few weeks ago because i was worrying about something absolutely trivial and Joe just said something like, he said, don't take this in the wrong way, but none of this matters. Right. I love that. Listen to this little saying that my, my friend Harry told me. He said, somebody once told me that worry is like a rocking chair. Oh, yes. 
it keeps you going, but it gets you nowhere. hundred <laughs> percent. And I... I wish I'd heard that when I was about 15, you know, the rocking chair thing, because yeah, yeah. worrying was my hobby throughout my teens and my 20s. Absolutely. And also, you know what's, you know what's really dangerous? Unconsciousness. And I don't think yeah. awake, awake is like, oh God, here we go. What is that? You know, that can be dangerous too, because if you think you're spiritual, then, you know, you, you're probably not. But yeah, I mean, spiritual, the word spiritual for me is kind of practical. So... Yeah. And I have no affiliation with any religion or, you know, any other kind of, I love them all. I'm open to them all. I just know that when I'm honest, when I'm open-minded and when I become willing to do some, some few simple things, my life changes abundantly. And it's ridiculous how cause and effect is one of the most important principles. It's like, you know, I have sat and overthought. The mind is a real problem, isn't it? Overthinking. And I think that oh. can be affected by your environment, by the food you eat, by you know. I love, I love some of the stuff, stuff you that, watch on telly. I don't, I don't watch like this. Is the yeah. funniest thing? I don't really watch telly. And when I was doing Bliss with David um, Cross, and yeah. and they said to me, "What have you been doing? Have you seen such a thing? Have you seen?" I was like, "No, I've, I don't know. I've not seen Breaking Bad. I've not seen The Sopranos." Shane was like, "What are you talking about?" I sit, I used to sit and watch films, but now because of Netflix and Amazon and all the rest of it, I've been watching a lot more because I'm actually writing and you have to. But I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, James. There was so many years. I mean, I'm going to share a secret that I'd not seen Ricky's work before I met him. Wow. And so I'd seen, I'd heard, because I would, then I think The Office were my raving years. So I kind of, a friend had told me I'd seen bits. I knew David Brent was. I knew how iconic David Brent was and genius. And I'd seen some stuff and I'd laugh. But it was the first, and I'm really pleased that this happened because the first audition I had, I just was in there. And if I would have watched all the stuff that he'd done, I would have been overwhelmed. But it was when I, it was after that audition, I went There's something away. in that, isn't there? I watched his whole back catalogue and I was just like, oh shit. Like, but thank God, you, thank God you did it that way because if that had been me... Ricky Uber fan. I mean, I'd have been shaking. I couldn't make eye contact. I'd have, I'd have bowed down at one point. Whereas you go in there, you nail it, and you you get the part, don't you? And and honestly, I didn't. I was just like, oh yeah, and it was fine. And then I watched it and thought, wow, what 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 a clever guy. And and actually, it was all my kind of stuff. I love you know, fun, really for the office. I mean, oh, extras. Yeah. Derek was. I think Derek might have been my favorite. I cried my bloody eyes out. It was. Have you told him that? Huh. You, you should definitely tell him that, I think. I know. I don't know if I've told him. I'm always crying when I'm with him. They all laugh at me because I cry all the time. Like, Afterlife was literally something that made me cry projectile. I was like... I'm not... Men- well, I've got to keep my mouth shut. Where I'm, <laughs> I yeah, self, I'll self-edit. I'll self-edit. Don't worry. It's all right because we got it's his showing it. We've got to let him do it, but I don't mind to ask. You know, I, I do what I, I do. What I can when I'm asked, but I don't want to, I don't want to overtake it. <laughs> but anyway... Um, you know, I'm there to serve, but but ultimately it's um yeah, I think it's it's interesting. I feel like I've had maybe, you know, two or three different lives. It's like my childhood was amazing. I I I I you know, grew up with my sister Jane and my, my two brothers Ian and Stephen. Jane and Stephen are twins. My mum, Hetty, who's amazing, she's 86 now, missing her so much in this lockdown thing, but she's up in Manchester with all them lot. And then my dad, Richard, 
it was just amazing. Like we we had the best time. We all like hung out. We went on holidays. We used to like Pontins and Butlins, Blackpool, you know, Pathelli, all these places. And then dad died when I was 17 and it was just like, oh, what is going on? And then that's when I hit the rock and roll years, you know. So I wouldn't change anything about my life apart from I wish my dad was still here. I think that's kind of it. But um, the journey that I've been through, you know, and the, the the kind of things that I've learned through pain and through mistakes, some of the mistakes I've made have been the biggest triumphs of my life um I'm very grateful to all the people that have reached out and helped me and loved me through all the difficult times and I think doing in my skin and even afterlife this is a feels like a love letter from Ricky it's beautiful um reaching I mean, out I just, I just, I, obviously I don't I, you know I've only known you for about an hour and obviously I didn't know your dad but I mean I, I mean Ricky it would be so he'd be so uh I mean, I don't know you, but I'm proud of your body of work. So your dad would have been, you know, beyond, beyond proud, wouldn't he? Thank you, James. He would, wouldn't he? That's nice. That's really nice. I'll take that one. Richard Hartley would be proud. He was great, my dad. He, he, used, to sit, he used to sing like Frank Sinatra songs and play the drums, and he really sounded like him. He was good looking. He was all right. He had a good head of hair on his head, I tell you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, right. I- I saw, I saw a picture of my granddad from the 1940s recently, and I, I, I've never had such hair envy. He looked like Dirk Bogard. He had this giant quick... And I was like, how the fuck did I not get that? You know what? what, what I mean, look, what, what's going on there? They were only on meat and two veg. Now we're on the green <laughs> juice. Everyone's hair's falling out. <laughs> Brilliant. Sack them ginger shots, James. I'm sorry. <laughs> get, get back on the old ox tail and spuds, mate. <laughs> I'm gonna, after, after this call, I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to be on rationing to see if it'll grow back. To be honest, I, I, my hair's falling out. I thought it was a gremlin in the bath the other day. It was like the sinkhole was like my hair's really long at the moment. I was like, God, where's my cleaner? <laughs> like, <laughs> like Gizmo was in the the thing. <laughs> oh God! Um, yeah. No, Joe, I'm, 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 oh, sorry, no go I'm just. On also that's why I think in my skin means such a lot because it's a true story and it's Kaylee's you know life she's bravely sort of written and shared it with us all so I think me and Gabby were just so like oh we got to do this justice because this really is a relevant story about people not being authentic and pretending something they're not and it gets very painful you know as a little girl she was too frightened to reach out I think by her opening up and putting this story out there it shows people that they're not alone and they need to kind of be able to be defected and feel alone and, and, and reach out. Because I don't know about you, just quickly, James, but when we were growing up, like things don't, you don't cry, you don't talk about that. And you kind of like stiff up a lip, we get on with it. But now it's generationally different, isn't it? People, I don't know if it can get too crazy where we go the other way and we, we talk about, I do, I do like some of the older values, but I definitely think it's important to talk to people. Um, it, it was, I think, certainly when, we, when you and I were kids, it was probably frowned upon, wasn't it? A bit, yeah. I mean, I, just a bit, um, you know, not emotionally anorexic, but unable, uh, unable to kind certainly of... Certainly in the North. Yeah. I mean, I, I spend, my wife will tell you, I spend too long championing the North. You know, I've lived in London for 20 years, but I'll bang on about the North. But there's, you know, there's if one of many things we didn't do brilliantly. It was probably expressing 
how we felt back then, you know, and it's different now. It's different now, and it can be too much sometimes, can't it? You're like, all right, now, come on, stop. I, mean, I, I can't get enough of it, I'll be honest with you. I, I mean, I'm the same as you, but, you know, for the listeners that you like... Oh, no, oh, Joe, absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's really important to um, to laugh and forgive and to accept everything as it actually is, even if it's difficult. And I know it's all relative. It's hard to say that when you're not going through something and someone else is. But it's um, it's been a great journey so far, and I actually believe the best is yet to come. Uh, you know what? You've you've taken the words out of my mouth. I I think with you, this is this is the beginning. I really really do. I think with you, it is too. I think... <laughs> I've got visions. I'll see you in ten years' time when you've got an Oscar, and I'll be going, Joe, uh-huh. remember me? No, sorry, no. <laughs> ten, ten years' time when my Oscar, I have no teeth, and I'll be sat <laughs> drinking tea on lockdown. Ten year lockdown, Hartley. Ten years lockdown. I will make if I don't if I don't get out a bit alive, then I've got a really nice ornament that looks a bit like an Oscar. It's silver though, and my sister in law got it me, so I can just pretend I'll carve my name in it. Um, probably, probably find a coconut somewhere in the flat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joe, I, I can't thank you enough. This has been uh, an absolute revelation. So bless your heart. Thank you. James Gill, James Gill, you lovely human being. Thank you so much. Thanks right for having me at you, the show, podcast show. I know I sound like it. Sound like I'm on some like 1960s TV show. No, Let's perfect. Let's out the show. Well, that was a trailer. <laughs> Cheers, Joe. And, God bless. Um, stay safe and lots of love to all the family. Bye. You too, Joe. Take care. Thank you so much. Thanks, bless James. You. Thank you. That was amazing. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Huge thanks to you as always for listening. Much appreciated. Uh, if you want to work with bands, drop our sales team a line. Maybe it's adverts. Maybe it's a, a teaming up, brand partnership, creative solutions. You name it. Uh, the sales team would love to hear from you. Sales at balance.media. If you want to drop me a line, podcast at balance.media. Uh, and I hope you're okay. Uh, my thoughts are with you all. And uh, huge thanks to you as always. It means a lot. Take care. Speak soon. Bye-bye.